Welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Today is one of our most interesting guests with Tom Rowley, the founder of Backstory. Tom quit his dream job at The Economist six months ago to start London's newest independent bookstore. We followed Tom's journey on Substack, where he's been writing every week about the entrepreneurial journey of starting something that he admits he had no idea how to do beforehand. He's used crowdfunding, raising 25,000 to get the idea off the ground. It's one of the most interesting stories that I think we've ever covered on Jimmy's Jobs of the Future, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did recording it in store in Ballum. This show is made possible by the fantastic support of our various partners, and I wanted to thank the Octopus Group. The Octopus Group is a collection of eight entrepreneurially minded businesses across financial services and energy, all founded on the one simple belief that people and the planet deserve better. They are intent on building a better tomorrow for future generations and are a certified B Corp, demonstrating they care as much about the impact of their investments as the returns they generate. I am proud that Octopus have backed this show since the second series and they are the reason why we are now able to put such a professional show together. To hear more about what they do, it is worth checking out previous episodes with the founders Chris Hewlett and Simon Rogerson or the CEO of their investments arm, Ruth Hancock. If you want to see how you could partner with us, go to our website at www.jobsofthefuture.co. And now on to today's episode. Tom, welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, you had a dream job at The Economist and you quit. Why is that? It was a moment of extreme madness, I think it would be fair to say. Um, I two things, really, that uh, both happened quite early on in 2020. Uh, I mean, one was quite a big thing, the global pandemic, right? Um, and so having gone from spending 10 years living out of a suitcase, as you do as a journalist, kind of hopping here, there and everywhere around the world covering stories, Suddenly, I'm living life, you know, within five streets, six streets, like we all were. Um, and I quite liked it. I quite liked suddenly, you know, in London, knowing my neighbours, feeling like every day I was popping out with my dog, uh, going around the common, getting to know people. Um, and I thought, this is interesting, and maybe this is the sort of lifestyle that I would like. But I don't think I would have <laughs> given up this amazing job if it weren't for the second thing which happened, which was um, about two months after that, just as businesses were reopening after that first sort of really hard, harsh lockdown, bookshops reopened. And I said to my then editor, um, I'd love to write a piece. You know, I've, I've really missed going into bookshops these last two months. I didn't realise quite how much they meant to me until I wasn't allowed to go into them. Um, can I go and hang out in one on the first morning that it reopened? Um, so I went to one in uh, Oldsborough in Suffolk, um, the most beautiful bookshop there. Um, and you literally just did what I, what I loved doing as a journalist, which was sort of sitting in a corner, scribbling on a notepad, watching people coming in, um, and people watching, really. Um, I had the most amazing day, interviewed James Dawn, the, the boss of, sort of Waterstones, Barnes & Noble, as well as Dawn Books. Um, and it was on the train back from that, Jimmy, to be honest. I sort of had a kind of moment of epiphany, really, and I, I thought, crikey, this is what I want to do. 
Um, and it was those two things coming together. And I think if it hadn't both happened at the same time, I probably wouldn't have done it. But, but that was it, really. But here we are. And I, I said welcome to Jimmy's Jobs, but of course we were recording this in Backstory. <laughs> right. so, welcome to Backstory, <laughs> yes. And so tell us about the name, Backstory. Where did that come from? Well, there is, of course, a Backstory. <laughs> um, so I suppose one of the, one of the kind of things which, which people mention within about 20 seconds, typically, when you say that you're opening a bookshop, they bring up the dreaded A word, yes. right? Um, which, you know, I'm not going to mention in full, but I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. Let's not give them any promotion, right? <laughs> no, 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 I think, I think, I think uh, others are perfectly capable of that. But, um, but they bring that up. Um, and so I think what a bookshop needs to do now is to be much more than just a typical retail store. It, it can't just be an environment where you go in, you buy something like you would, you know, a plant or a, or a thing of medicine or whatever. Um, I think it needs to offer more. And, and the most obvious thing that I thought we could offer is the backstory. It's that, you know, you can get a book anywhere. You can get exactly the same book sent to you tomorrow in one of those little brown parcels with a fake smile on it or you can have it given to you with love with real interest with knowledge with a conversation about the backstory about everything that went into that beautiful book um, and about sort of the whole world that it belongs to and, uh, and it can become so much more than just this little bit of printed material that you, that you have in your hands and so Talk to us about the, the process of, of announcing it, because you've used social media quite cleverly in lots of different ways. Um, and so talk to us about that moment, because this was the first moment that I interacted with you as well, but of where you announced that you were doing it. Yeah. Um, so it was funny. I, I mean, I sort of... Um, I thought, hey, when you, when you say that you're doing this thing, um, you know, you get your... 15 seconds or whatever it is now on on twitter it's not even 15 minutes of fame you know yes. i mean you have you if you you interrupt this sort of hell cycle for a second and you get people's attention and i thought crikey well i better think of a way to kind of monopolize on that or a way to kind of um once i got people's attention to keep it um and so it was actually it was at the bus stop going into work the day before I handed in my notice. I thought, well, everyone seems to be doing a substack these days. Everyone mm. seems to have a newsletter. Why, why don't I do that? Because I'm going to have this weird kind of interregnum between quitting my job and having a physical shop that people can go to. Why don't I, you know, do, do what the only thing I sort of know how to do, which is to kind of string a few words together why don't I do that and sort of take people on the journey with me rather than pretending that I know what I'm doing because I really don't so I thought what I'll do I'll put out a tweet just saying this is my mad plan is what I'm going to do but then also and I'm so glad I did this in that same tweet say I'm signing up here for to kind of follow along the journey because I think so many more people did that because it was in that first kind of, oh, wow, goodness, this is a weird thing for someone to be doing moment. Going if I then followed up two weeks later with a, and now I'm launching a substack, please. So, you know, I, I, I think you've, you've got to, sometimes in life, you've got to recognise your moment and kind of seize on it, you know. Yeah, I think it's interesting. So many of that are kind of like personal news claxon, <laughs> which has become like particularly journalist cliche yes. on, on yes. kind of Twitter. But, and so many say I'm leaving and more news on where I'm going. And I always think, ah, oh, you sort sometimes you've missed the 
the, the boat there slightly, that bridge yes. that you talk about, which is so interesting. And so you write the Substack every week as well. So it's taking your skills as a writer, as a journalist, and making it interesting. And, you know, I send it to lots of people and always enjoy it landing in my inbox on a, on a Sunday. Um, because it's so informative and there's, there's so much that you don't know about a business. You know, you sort of look at it and you think, well, selling books relatively straightforward perhaps, but mm. actually, um, yeah, I remember the one about, um, what was it, IBAN numbers and so on. <laughs> yes. I found weirdly compelling. Um, but talk to us about how, how do you go through the process of like, what am I going to write this week? Because you're also becoming a content creator as well. <laughs> Goodness, yes. Um, it's funny. I mean, people used to ask when I was a journalist, how do you come up with your ideas? And, and sometimes people ask now, how do you decide what to write in a newsletter? Um, and I never sort of sit down and think, goodness, what am I going to write? You know, it, it almost always comes to me just by people asking me questions. And, mm. and I think that's usually the best way of, of, you know, even when I used to write articles, you always think, well, um, you know, what do people want to know? What's the, what's the next logical question after that question? And things just sort of flow from there. So it was really, I mean, I was, I was amazed by, yeah, the kind of interest in the nitty gritty that people sort of expressed really early on, but also in uh, you know, um, stuff that maybe might seem obvious, but you know, one friend of mine in a bar said to me, so where do you get the books? And I thought, right, well, better tackle that one earlier on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so talking through the whole process of, of striking up relationships with publishers, how that works. You know, surprisingly, uh, it surprised many authors, I think, how kind of antediluvian the whole publishing industry still is and, and, and sort of back in the 1920s in terms of the distribution model. Um, and I think, yeah, people have just enjoyed that slight sort of raising of the curtain. And I guess with my sort of journalist background here, I'm almost, always wanting that sort of, you know, sneak peek and that bit of gossip and that sort of tidbit. And, and I think I've sort of still got that slightly anarchic instinct and it's now directed against myself. Yes. So I sort of want to share these things, you know. And talk to us about the business model that, you've, uh, that you're planning on putting in, in place because one of the things that you also, perhaps before we go on to the business model, you spent six months almost doing market research by having a stall in Ballam Market, right? It was a good <laughs> job you quit like at the start of summer. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, exactly. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm really beginning to get quite nippy now. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and that was great. Um, it was actually an idea of uh, one of my friends, Hannah, um, who, who said to me, you know, not from a market research point of view, she just said, Tom, you're going to go mad. You're going to be stuck, you know, stuck at home in your spare room, coming up with your business plan and everything. <laughs> you know, do you not want to meet people? Um, and she said, well, why have you thought of getting a, a stall at the market? Um, and it was great. Uh, I mean, a couple of reasons it was great. One, as you say, from a market research point of view, um, honing the idea of what Ballam wants, you know, what Ballam wants, what South West London wants, you know, um, and, and sort of discovering, I guess, that Venn diagram of books Tom loves, books Ballam loves, and, and that sort of sweet backstory spot in the middle. Um, so that was really helpful. And then, and then the other thing, really, um, is, I mean, you could call, you could call it marketing uh, or you could you know, just call it meeting people. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a massive people person and just like meeting people. But um, it was great in terms of meeting locals. And very quickly I realised that there were going to be some sort of 
you know, real repeat customers who will be back each week or each fortnight who have already quite a few of them sort of being in here into the shop in the first week, having a glass of wine at the counter or, a, you know, a cup of coffee, reading a first chapter. And so it was, that was a great kind of entree, if you like, into the community. I'm glad you brought up the bar there because uh, the producer on the show, Leo, said that he thinks it's everyone's dream in the UK to either own a pub or a bookstore. <laughs> and you've managed to merge the two together, which yeah. is particularly genius. Yes, um, with absolutely no experience of doing either of them. Um, <laughs> and as my staff will attest, um, I mean, I think we're, uh, we're all on a very steep learning curve here. But... I think um, you know what we do have um, is you know a real backing of the community behind us. It does feel like people are sort of cheering us on, and as you say, it does feel to some extent that you are tapping into uh, a dream that lots of people have, but perhaps for for very sensible reasons, <laughs> concluding that they're not going to do. Whereas we've done it, um, and so. Yeah, you know, over time, I'm sure uh, my coffee will be almost as good as my colleague Rory, um, you know, uh, 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 and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll nail down the final point. But, um, but yeah, I, I just want a big thing. I love, I love having a glass of wine and reading a book, and I wanted to create a space near me where I could do that. Yeah, and, and allow everyone else to enjoy it as well. And <laughs> yeah. so... The, the, the business model more broadly, you've talked about community and, and how important that is. Um, it's not just going to be about selling books, is it? Yeah. What, what events have you got planned and so forth? Uh, well, I mean, we're very, very excited to be um, kicking off in November with uh, Marina Hyde and Craig Brown, uh, both here in person, um, talking about their new books. Um, and I think... Um, yeah, I'm going to have to be careful not to be too much the little child in the sweet store, <laughs> you know, desperate to invite all these people that I should really, really want to meet and talk to. Um, but, you know, for me, that's massive. Um, and then also, I think what we want to be really conscious of um, is that, you know, I've been amazed going back to that, you know, that, that, that naughty business beginning with A, um, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> they are really bloody brilliant at fulfilment and they are really, but you know, I mean, they've absolutely nailed that. Um, and so the one thing that really surprised me actually in the first six months was that um, we could sell books online. Um, and I, I, I hadn't expected that at all. I thought that we'd do these newsletters and that maybe I'd sell a book or two to my mum you know, my aunt or something, because they were trying to support us, you know. But no, I mean, I've got a, I've, I've, you know, that story has a big following in Mississippi for some <laughs> reason. You know, I mean, we've got lots of subscribers to, you know, we sort of do a thing where we, you know, tailor a book subscription to a particular individual. You can give it as a gift and we pick out a book, wrap it up beautifully, send it to them every month. Um, and that's really taken off, as has our non-fiction book club, which we're doing each month. Um, and that's on Zoom, partly because I wanted to invite people anywhere, but also because I really wanted the author to join us. And I thought, what's what can you add as a point of difference that isn't just your local book club? Well, when was the last time Patrick Rag and Keith actually came to your book club to discuss it? You know, um, and so I think that's something again that you can kind of offer beyond just the book. It's going, what's the backstory here? Yeah, and 
that hybrid model, is that how you see the kind of future of the high street and, and so forth? And, and why do you think you've got such a following in Mississippi? I know you've shipped, <laughs> you've shipped to Estonia as well, I seem to. Yes. <laughs> Well, I pay I pay my EU VAT in Estonia. I'm a very odd kind of small businessman. <laughs> I've elected to pay more tax than I need to, which is very odd. But it was to sort of simplify shipping to the EU. Um, it's odd. I mean, in terms of high street, you know, I, I don't profess to be any kind of expert. Um, but it does seem to me that, that, that the shift does seem to be from pure retail towards experience. Um, and there, there must be a window of opportunity in the next three or four years as hybrid working continues to be a thing. You know, like if hybrid working is still a thing two years out from the pandemic, as energy costs, residential energy costs are what they are at the moment, surely it will continue to be a thing in three, four, five years' time. So it, it seems like there is a real opportunity for um, high streets to capitalise on that and to rethink, you know, how are we going to be a business that is part of the community rather than just uh, offering the community things, you know, selling to the community, how do we kind of become part of that community? And to the other side, how scalable do you think the sort of new model is? I mean, I know you've only been open a week and not even had the official launch party yet. <laughs> but like I said to a few people, you know, I'm interviewing you and whatever, and the first question was like, well, when's he going to open in Kingston or when's he going to open in Wimbledon? <laughs> uh, so how scalable do you think the model is? So, I mean, in my... In my dreams, I think it would be, you know, it would be absolutely lovely to have, you know, a few, a, a handful more backstories scattered about the place. Um, I think not terribly scalable physically, um, because I think, I don't know about you, but I, I often see businesses that grow very quickly with kind of VC money and, and you know, um, they were one or two lovely restaurants or coffee shops or whatever. They yes. did a real buzz about them, particularly in London. And then there's one on every corner. And inevitably, the one on every corner is not as great as this particular, you know. Um, even with something as venerable as, as, dare I say, Daunt Books, you know, I, you know, I think they have one of the world's best bookshops, you know, in, in, in Marlborough. And then they have several other good bookshops, you know. Um, but I think it is difficult to to replicate something. And if, you, if you've got something really special, um, I think what I wouldn't want to do probably is to kind of rush into, <laughs> into having loads of them. Equally, um, there is a, obviously a, a commercial imperative and, and, and appeal there. Um, and, you know, I'm clearly not going to make my fortune running bookshops. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, even if I want to make a decent living, it, you know, it, it, it's fairly hard to do that just from one shop when you're on a high street and you're paying yeah. huge rents. So whether it's more online stuff, whether it's other shop, you know, watch this space. Yeah. yeah. And talk to us about the, um, the crowdfunding, right? Because a lot of people's first problem with starting a business is thinking, oh, well, where am I going to get the money from and, and all of this, particularly when you need to um, stock and fill something out on the scale of this. Um, you launched a crowdfunding campaign. It was pretty successful, right? But you used some of your kind of, again, journalistic skills to, um, to really create a bit of buzz about it. Yes. Um, and I mean, I, I, I was sort of, 
flabbergasted, to be honest, by how successful it was and, and how, you know, I thought we might raise a bit, but I thought it would take us quite a long time, a couple of weeks or something. But, you know, within, I think it was within five days that we hit our target of 20,000. Um, and then people still seemed to want to continue to, to give. Um, <laughs> so it went up to 25. Um, and then we even, I've even had a couple of very, very nice local people popping in with envelopes, sort of insisting that they still want to give me money, which I sort of feel quite guilty accepting but um yeah i mean it's it's very fortunate and i do feel actually actually makes me feel kind of a responsibility in a Mm. weird way because you know i think it's a it's a business you know it's not a charity business that people nonetheless have decided that they want to have here and, and that they think is important to their local community and so important that they're going to chip into it um so it does make me you know think that there are there are business priorities for backstory but i think it's also important and i'll you know always keep at the front of my mind that it's, that it's here to kind of serve its community yeah and, and that does mean yeah i think that you that you sort of stakeholder is an absolutely horrible word, but you do you want yeah. to juggle these, uh, you know, these competing priorities, I suppose. And what you've been hiring as well, you know, it can't be you behind the behind the counter all the time. Um, so, what kind of like skills have you been looking for? I'm aware that Amy and Rory are both watching and listening <laughs> on them at the moment. But, the world's uh, best booksellers. On yeah, 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 I've got them. So, you know, yeah, um, uh, nice people. Yep. Um, uh, I, I, I sort of that's it, really. Um, um, you know, I mean, it helps. <laughs> current, <laughs> current company included, you know, it helps if they can string a sentence together <laughs> and like reading and, you know, are competent and all that kind of stuff. But, um, uh, you know, I, I, I think um, as a punter, when I go into a shop, um, the one thing that really turns me off is if someone's a bit grumpy or doesn't have time for me or, you know, it looks like they'd rather be somewhere else. Uh, and the one thing, you know, I'm, I'm happy to put up with almost anything if someone smiles at me and yeah. I feel like there's a genuine human interaction there. Um, plus, I mean, <laughs> I've, you know, I'm working sort of like six and a half day weeks at the moment. Um, uh, you know, um, we're, <laughs> we're going to spend a ridiculous amount of time with each other. So so I feel like we got to rub on, you know, and, and actually kind of go along together. Um, so, yeah, I think... And I how did you recruit them? Was it through the Substack? Um, it's interesting, yeah. I mean, so um, uh, the, the sort of part-timers who I hired very recently, that was... Um, through Twitter and Instagram, and I put a big sign up in the window. Yeah. But I think that yeah, today so much of it is sort of shared on on Twitter and social media, and, and it gets out that way. Um, and I think yeah, I, I mean um, Rory, um, who joined me full time sort of four months ago, um, that was sort of through someone who had seen that I was doing this from that initial tweet, going yeah. all the way back to that. Um, and I have to say, doing it so publicly has been kind of daunting at times. And I mean, feeling sitting here talking to you, you know, I have no idea whether I sound coherent or not, but there are, you know, a million things going on in my head that, you know, that I have to do today. And I really feel like, you know, um, uh, you know, that I don't know what I'm doing yet. But so, it, so it's been daunting and exposing in that regard. But it has been great in the sense that I've been flooded with sort of offers of help. So from, you know, that initial introduction to, to Rory 
to um, the fact that, you know, an architect got in touch with me really early on, seeing what I'd written about on Substack and saying, you know, we've, we've wanted to do this for so long, we'd love to be involved with a community bookshop, you know. Um, she's down the road in uh, Norwood, and she has this amazing studio called, um, you know, A Small Space. Um, and, and she said that she, she really wanted to get involved with it. Um, so all of these people have kind of come quite organically, actually. But that is amazing, and I can imagine that's probably been the best part of the journey is the people that you've, you've met along the way. What, what's been the worst part? <laughs> I thought you might ask. <laughs> um, well, I mean, to be honest, to be honest I, can, I can put a picture of seeing in my head here, which was about... Ooh, about eight nights ago, nine nights ago, just before we were opening, uh, and everything here was still a complete mess. It was sort of like, you know, builders, stuff all over the place, didn't really know what we were doing, didn't know where everything was going. Um, and then we got a delivery of, of tables, which we were going to put the sort of best-selling books on. Um, and we suddenly realised they were about kind of, 20 centimeters too tall um and that you know unless we were going to have customer base of giants um <laughs> we were really going to struggle um and you know i sort of called the architects and we talked about this and 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 the solution was essentially you know that um i should make like my fifth trip to ikea <laughs> in about two and a half weeks um and i was sort of all geared up to do this having been in a shop that day from kind of like you know 6 a.m until you know and this was this was like 7 p.m i i actually hired a zip car i sat in a zip car around the corner and i just sort of had like a moment of, of like total sadness and silence and not knowing what to do and then i said no you are not going to Ikea. <laughs> and I didn't. And I went the next day. And I just, you know, it, 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 it's that kind of thing. It's when you suddenly, you go from being a professional with, with a whole bunch of, you know, support staff and departments around you. You suddenly realise you are your own IT department. You're your own HR department. You are, you know, there's no one, there was always in my previous job, there was always someone just very competent who you could just call and say, this isn't working, can you go and fix it? You know? yeah. And it, to be honest, it's that kind of stuff, because I'm sort of wordy and a bit geeky and kind of like people and books, and I don't, I'm not really good at fixing things. Like, and it's that kind of thing. And, you know, maybe I need a, maybe I need some sort of supremo who can, who can come and do that sort of thing, or maybe I just need to get better at it myself. But that is it, though, isn't it, as an entrepreneur? You know, you're head of sales, you're head of HR, <laughs> you're head of marketing. Yeah. Like, it is, yeah. like, you do all the jobs at the beginning yes exactly exactly <laughs> and um it's sort of like i mean in a weird way it's kind of it's kind of fun i mean there are there are also moments where you're like what the hell am i doing you know I, my life could be so much simpler and i could earn so much more yeah. doing almost anything else you know but there are other moments where you know it, it's actually quite nice to come into this thing which is your own and to have to do everything yeah. and, and and for you know for once in your life actually for um things not to be kind of laid out for you or for you to be you know the economist's man sweeping in to inspect this thing with everything having been carefully arranged before you coming in you know yeah yeah you 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 actually are going in from the bottom and you are kind of like persuading 
penguin or hachette or whatever that they should do business with you and that no they should damn well increase my credit limit or that they, you know and, and, and what you can't do anymore is send an email with you know economist journalist in a subject line and expect the ceo to pick up the phone in half an hour yeah you know and actually relearning those skills has been I mean, I don't know whether humbling sounds sound kind of crazy, but you, but, but you see what I mean. I mean, yeah. it, it is actually, um, actually, yeah, nice to just have to rely on yourself yeah. and your own sort of skills and guile and kind of try and figure a way through things rather than to... I feel like for a long time in my life, I've been able to rely on cachet and the name of, you know, the Telegraph or the Economist or whatever opens door and, and that's not the case anymore. Yeah, and you have to break through the doors. Yeah, but... exactly. And that can be painful, but uh, but having broken through them, also very rewarding. Yes, Yeah. absolutely. And from the outside, like, you know, and I've been a big fan since the first tweet and the first Substack. like, it looks like you've done it so well in terms of, like, the market research and the crowdfunding and all the things that we've talked about to be sitting here, you know, in the bookstore... What would you have done differently in the last six months? It's hmm. an interesting question. I think there are some logistics things, and this is like boring, dull stuff that ends up actually being quite a big part of an entrepreneur's life. Um, so, for instance, with the book club now, we're sort of figuring out how do you sell a subscription to someone who walks into the shop on the till when you've set this system up so that yeah. anyone around the world can use their credit card to subscribe. It's that sort of thing. And I think it would have been thinking earlier on, how do I streamline systems um, and make things sort of uh, run a bit more smoothly uh, from the sort of physical to the online. Similarly, our website worked very well when it was the one thing that I had to do, you know, and then when it was the wrong one thing that Rory and I had to do, you know. Um, and now that it is sort of, you know, for now at least a kind of sideline or, or ancillary to actually what the main revenue stream at the moment is, which is this physical shop, it's not being updated nearly as much. You know, so it, it, I think... It comes down to processes and it probably comes down to being disciplined. And uh, I suspect that that's something that in time, uh, you know, I, I could and should learn. Um, but uh, for now, I'm not. I mean, the, the other big thing that I wish I knew before I embarked on this is how bloody difficult the world of commercial property is um, and how like if you think you've ever had a problem with residential landlords just wait till you try and take out a lease on a shop I mean we're not I haven't even bought the shop it was a lease and it still took four months and sort of removed my remaining non-grey hairs um, kind of negotiating with you know as if I was I don't know buying some kind of palace or something yeah. rather than you know a thousand square foot shop on a high street in in southwest London but um yeah I mean that was that was crazy and I think that I think that maybe there still isn't enough support for um for sort of small business people and for entrepreneurs just starting out and I think there's a lot of a lot of forums there's a lot of government advice you know but actually when I was googling very simple things like you know how do I send a parcel to a customer in the EU 
Um, yeah. You know, I'm there was no real simple guide of how to get. You know, I had to learn that myself, or something like how do I go about leasing a shop? Um, uh, you know, I, I think I think we could be a lot better probably as a country. At, at, you know, um, sp- you know, enabling people who want to to do things to to do them. Yeah. No, I think that's. I think there's a lot of truth in that. It's, it is. Um, it's it's hard at the beginning, right? And sometimes you think Google's got all the answers, and actually, like it doesn't. And there's a lot of rubbish on there as well um, that doesn't actually help. If anything, it's a slight hindrance at points. Yeah, um, and I actually I actually found, if anything, um, Twitter tended to have all the answers. I mean, it it, <laughs> it, it, it had a lot of you know it had a lot of idiots on there. It has a lot of people who who tell you silly things but by and large ask a sensible question there will be someone One. who gives you a sensible answer who or who will at least introduce you to someone who you know that's how i found the agent who ended up finding this property and sort of guiding me through that crazy you know mess that is the commercial property market um and how did you decide on the on the branding for it because it's very striking when you come down Ballam high street right it, it really sticks out um again basically a combination of, of of finding two brilliant people putting them together and sort of stepping back and and and, and waiting till they came up with something that i loved and then saying i love it and, and not really interfering too much and um, i was very fortunate in that one of my good friends from the telegraph days um is uh sort of creates visual identities professionally um and it does a lot of the telegraph's branding stuff um called dario uh dario varengia and um uh, and he was sort of really on board with the project from the beginning and excited about it and he came up with a typeface and, and it's uh you know it's an exclusive typeface that's been done for us um and and then a combination of, of, of him and our excellent architect um, coming up with a sort of bold look for the shop. And my brief was was perhaps a bit rambling, to be honest. But 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 the one thing that I really wanted and made quite clear from the beginning was I wanted to be the opposite of a bookshop where the door is closed, you open the door, bell tingles above the door, um, man sort of limps out, you know, and sort of stares at you slightly, and you know, you ask for um, Sally Rooney or Colleen Hoover or something, and he glowers at you, you know, and says, "No, of course we don't stop that," you know. Um, um, so. Uh, Visually, I wanted to say we are open. We're you're welcome. Come and you know this is a social space. Uh, 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 and and it was just about finding the, the sort of geniuses who 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 made that happen. Yeah, and even in the half hour that we've been recording, there must have been about two dozen people that have come through and so on. It's yeah. it's pretty incredible to see. And we're just yeah. doing it on a on a Friday <laughs> lunchtime as well. So it's um now one of the big responsibilities is the kind of like content creation of the books and so uh, give you a very real life jimmy's jobs example of this um was coming to see you in in the market and having a bit of a mooch around the stalls and coming across the um uh, simon cooper's book um mm. barca and i just thought this is a it's a book on cult it's a book on the business of barcelona football club but also the culture the history and these are all basically my favorite things and i'd never come across it before and i just thought that is the power of it and it's become one of my favorite books that i've read hmm. this year and hmm. simon's going to be coming on the podcast because um, i emailed him and said look we've got to get you on to talk about soconomics his huh. other book and um we're going to be doing a great piece around the the world cup and the business of the world cup and so on but that's 
a, an example of how you know getting that right um you know can have a real sort of impact on people's lives so how do you go about deciding which books to have in store well firstly that's the kind of story i absolutely love hearing and and i think to be honest that's the very best thing about having a bookshop and even just having a store yeah. was that you would thrust a book that you that you love that maybe someone hadn't heard of before at them and they would come back a week or two later and you know sometimes say they didn't get on with it but but very often say wow that was amazing i've told someone else about it and and you know to be part of that kind of um uh victorian equivalent of going viral you know going, going viral very slowly one recommendation at a time is is kind of amazing um so i love that um kind of i mean curation um for the market was was kind of quite easy um because i only had maybe 30 40 books a week um so to begin with anyway it was books that i had read and loved um and i thought that was the way that you know you could differentiate yourself from from the a word um uh you know i mean now that, that there are something like 3500 titles um out here uh you know <laughs> voracious reader that i am uh, you know i have to come back i haven't read <laughs> all of them um uh it, you know it it really is it, it's trying to be welcoming and have a few books that people have heard of so that they feel that, that you know we're not an intimidating bookshop that, only yes. that you can only go in if you're you know if you've got you know, a millionaire level from your you know um I think that's important, but I think it's also important to kind of have books uh, in, in sort of categories like, if you liked, you know, if you liked this, I think you would like that. And that's sort of like the human algorithm, because, you yeah. know, the website we keep talking about does that, but in a very sort of, you know, um, calculated way. And, and I think what you can do is surface something that maybe wouldn't come up on that website because actually it's had a limited print run or the authors from Sunderland, you know, one of my favourite books uh, is by Jessica Andrews, Saltwater. Um, and I think she is 10 times better than Sally Rooney. Um, but Sally Rooney, I'm sure, has sold more than 10 times as many books as she has, you know, and I'm on a one-man mission to change that, yeah. you know. Um, but it's that kind of thing. It's the serendipity, and it's being able to, to sort of, for someone to come in and say, I love this book, uh, and, and for me to think, oh, you know what? We've got just the thing for you to try next. Yeah. No, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing to, yeah, the human algorithm on that <laughs> yeah. side of things. Great yeah. quote. Victorian vi virality <laughs> as well. Um <laughs> So a couple of quick fires to sort of oh, um, finish with. Um, who is who's the most interesting person you interviewed at The Economist? Crikey. Actually, that's, I thought that was a difficult question, but it's not. The answer has immediately come to me. Um, it's a guy called Mike Barton, who um, is chief constable, or was chief constable of Durham Constabulary. Um, yeah. And the reason that I thought he was fascinating was, um, well, the reason I went to interview him was because he was the only police force that was rated outstanding by the inspectorate. So there were 43 or whatever there were in the country. His was the only one that was any good, supposedly, or it was very good. Um, so I wondered whether that had anything to do with him, and I wanted to find out, you know, what made him tick. Um, and the second reason that he was 
kind of fascinating um, was that <laughs> he basically let me do exactly what you want to do as a journalist, which is just observe. And, and, you know, for my money, the absolute best journalism is when you're perched in the corner, watching things unfold, and you get to kind of really get under the skin of, of what was going on. Um, and so I spent a couple of days literally sort of as a, as a fly on the wall in, in his office, seeing what was happening. And I thought the fascinating thing, there were many fascinating things, but the one real takeaway, which I've hopefully taken with me to this, is what he called kind of his bungee jump theory of management, <laughs> which was that, you know, you're a chief constable, you've got to be across everything, so you want to delegate as much as possible and, and, and operate at quite a high level a lot of the time and empower people below you who, if someone has a good idea, they should get some budget and go off and try it in a small way and see if it works. But you also have to be the person who you walk past and you see a bit of litter, you pick up of litter up because if you don't then why should you expect everyone but you know um and i think yeah in, in a very small way i i'd like to apply that here you know i i, I find it uh, <laughs> i'm sure amy will probably tell you already i find it impossible to walk past the table without being very ocd and rearranging it in pyramid style so that, so, so that the, you know the, the biggest pile is always at the center and they go down yeah. like, you know um and that's the sort of thing that you notice the moment you come in into a bookshop you don't notice when you've been stood behind a counter for seven hours yeah but if we want to keep it up to that standard and for people to know that we really care about that you know that's the kind of thing we have to be really on top of absolutely no that's really um really interesting and um this is obviously a very, very dangerous question but we ask everyone that comes on the um show but what is the What's your favourite book? <laughs> I was trying to think of a clever way to ask it then, and I just thought, I haven't really got it. <laughs> I mean, it really is like, what's your favourite child? But but I've got 3,500 children. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm <laughs> prolific. Um, I, um, I have, so I've, I've, I've got like a couple. I've got a favourite book of the moment, yeah. which I think your listeners would definitely love and should read if they haven't already, um, which is Money Men by Dan McCrum, um, mm. which is a brilliant book about the fall of Wirecard um, and about his whole investigation into Wirecard and how that all collapsed. Um, and it reads like a thriller. And I mean, it's definitely the sort of business book of the year. Um, and yeah, I, th I think that's brilliant. And I've been recommending it to people who have no interest whatsoever in business or, or economics and who would never read the FT and who've come back to me and said, that's a great book. Um, for my money, yeah, I mean, the author who I will always make sure that I have on my shelf and who, if someone comes into me and says, I just want a great book and I will always give to them, um, is a guy called Nicholas Butler. Um, and he, uh, he lives in rural Wisconsin, uh, in America. And I think he knows people better than almost any author I've read. Uh, and he's just wonderful at conjuring up human relationships um, and, and what makes people tick. Um, and, and those are the kind of novels that I love reading. And, and, you know, there are people like Elizabeth Strout who are great at that, Jessica Andrews, who I mentioned as well. Yeah. You know, Sally Rooney, lots of people have read. Um, I, you know, I think Nicholas Butler is, is amazing. And his first book called Shotgun Love Songs, um, I, I would, to be honest, I would 
kind of challenge anyone to, to read it and tell me that they didn't think it was a great book. Uh, I, 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 I'd love to hear it if they don't. Um, but uh, probably for my money, that's, that's my favourite book. That's the best. And if you could, I mean, you've already, we've talked about some of the authors you've got coming to do events at the store, like Marina Hyde and so on. But if, if there was another one that you could get, who, who would you most want? Funny, I was thinking about this earlier on. I mean, I actually, I read, um, I read a really interesting uh, just TV review um, uh, last weekend by Hugo Rifking um, uh, in the Times uh, about Michael Palin's new series mm. on Iraq. Um, and I thought it was really interesting because um, he sort of spotted the same thing which had occurred to me, um, uh, which is that, Paying is sort of like Britain's best journalist, despite the fact that no one thinks of him as a journalist. <laughs> I mean, he's just absolutely wonderful at kind of getting to the nub of things and getting to the nub of what makes someone tick and what makes a place special. Um, but doing it in such a sort of unassuming and self-deprecating way, without ever sort of editorialising or telling a camera what he thinks or telling a reader what he thinks, um, that we all sort of go along with the idea that it's sort of light entertainment or something. Yeah. But it's not. Uh, I mean, it, I mean, he really is wonderful at that. Uh, and sort of the one thing that kind of kept me sane during lockdowns um, was was pacing around Clapham Common, listening to Michael Paling, reading his travel um, diaries, his, his beautiful travel diaries of his sort of epic nineteen nineties. BBC voyages across the world, pole to pole, that sort of thing. Um, and you know, I'd be, I'd be, yeah, in in April in a cold on Clapham Common. But you know, in my mind, I was in Peru. I was, you know, I was with Paling in Peru. And I, I think, you know, an evening with Michael Paling. Michael Paling, come to backstory. There we are. We're gonna, we'll make it happen. We'll put it on Twitter. <laughs> we'll get everyone. We'll get all your community and my community to retweet it and like it, or we will try anyway. See what we can uh, make happen. Tom, thanks so much for coming on Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. I think the story is brilliant. I think what you're doing, um, creating in public and building in public, uh, is is brave, but it's such a great way to do it and feel part of the story. And people should come to Balham in back uh, backstory in Balham and see what it's all about. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. And I must say, thank you very much for not mentioning the A word. Exactly. That's, that's been excellent. <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. Cheers, Tom. <laughs> 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 Thanks for listening to Jimmy's Jobs. One of the ways we make this show possible is through our various partnerships. If you'd like to partner with us, you'd be joining one of the UK's fastest growing business podcasts, reaching over 40,000 listeners every month. I know many podcasts brag about the size of their audience, but few can say they are listened to by the biggest name in the country. I wanted to ask you what your favourite podcast was, aside from Jimmy's Jobs, of course. Jimmy's Jobs is obviously my favourite podcast. We've helped a wide variety of groups tell their story, from the National Farmers Union right through to the FinTech Alliance. So if you'd like to work with us, just go to www.jobsofthefuture.co. To keep up to date with all Jobs of the Future news, you can follow us across all social media, including our brand new TikTok and YouTube channels.